Well, good morning. Let's get started. So thankful for you being here today. Thanks for joining us for the Women's Bible Study at Redemption Arcadia. Uh, we're doing a series called Jesus and the Women He Loved and looking at different silhouettes of interactions that Jesus had with various women in the gospel accounts. And uh, I have really loved looking at these scriptures with you. Um, my name is Tyler. I'm the pastor of worship and communities here and thankful to be able to spend this eight weeks with you. And uh, we're hoping to do the same kind of thing with the women's uh, with the men's Bible study uh, in the future as well. And so thankful to those of you who have um, uh, attended and those of you who have listened online and, and those of you who are participating as part of the leadership team. Super excited for what God's doing in this ministry at Arcadia. Uh, the podcast is available online. If you search Redemption, uh, if you if you search Arcadia Congregation, that's the best way to find the podcast. Sometimes it's a little bit tricky to find, but Arcadia Congregation, uh, the podcast should come up for you. Uh, also, there is on the chair over here in the first row, there is a sign up there if you would like to uh, participate in the leadership team later on or if you'd like to bring snacks or drinks. Uh, thank you to Rose for bringing the snacks and drinks today. I really appreciate you. Uh, we're going to uh, begin with uh, a, a prayer, and then we'll read this uh, scripture from Isaiah 55, verses 6 through 7. Uh, funny story about that. Allison just told me that she had planned on us reading this passage next week. And so the Spirit of God does bring to mind the scriptures that he wants us to read, which I'm thankful for that. Uh, so why don't we actually read this first, and then I'll pray. So let's, let's read together. Uh, you can stand, and then we'll be... Uh, standing already for the worship that will be led by Emily and Malia today. So thank you, Emily and Malia, for leading us in, in worship. Let's read this out of Isaiah 55, verses 6 and 7. Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts. And let him return to the Lord. And he will have compassion on him and to our God, for he will abundantly pardon. Amen. Lord, we praise you that you are the one who pardons our sin. Uh, you are the one who has compassion on us. So, Lord, I do pray that uh, we would draw near to you during this time uh, together, that you would be glorified during this time, Lord, and that there would be those... Um, uh, either here or listening or in our spheres of influence who would turn to you at this time, uh, re confess, repent, and draw near to you and your salvation. And so we pray you be glorified in all these things. and pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's...
Trust in
Yes, Jesus. Father God, I just thank you for this day. Father God, and the time that you've given us to come together and worship. Father God, I just pray for a great session. Father God, full of your word and truth, and that we're ready just to open our hearts and receive what you have for us today. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thanks, Emily and Malia. Super great to worship with you. All right, so we've been looking at these little pictures of interactions that Jesus has with various women in the New Testament in the Gospel accounts. And I just want to point out to you before we look at this text, uh, a theme that has developed um, as I've been looking at these passages. Um, there seems to be a theme here where Jesus is revealing who he is, and that leads to faith in the people, and that leads to obedience from the people. <laughs> so there's this progression that we see in these interactions that Jesus is having, where through who he is and what he says and what he does, he's revealing himself to be God, he's revealing himself to be the savior of the world, even though he's not close to his death at this point, there's a revelation of who Jesus is and, and what he's doing. And this is leading to faith in the people that he interacts with. And that faith uh, then leads to a changed life, uh, obedience in following, following him as Lord and Master. And so that's a progression that we're seeing in these passages, and it's, it happens again in our passage today, uh, though with a different woman. And so the passage is there listed for you, starting in verse, the second half of verse 42. So I, I actually would like for us to read the bold section first and, and talk through the bold section first. As Jesus went, the people pressed around him, and there was a woman who had a discharge of blood for 12 years. And though she had spent all her living on physicians, she could not be healed by anyone. She came up behind him and touched the fringe of his garment, and immediately her discharge of blood ceased. And Jesus said, Who was it that touched me? When all denied it, Peter said, Master, the crowds surround you and are pressing in on you. But Jesus said, Someone touched me, for I perceived that power has gone out from me. And when the woman saw that she was not hidden, she came trembling and falling down before him, declared in the presence of all the people why she had touched him and how she had been immediately healed. And he said to her, Daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace. Now that's the, the last part of the bold section, and, and I want to talk through that first. So this is in Luke chapter 8, verse, uh, verse is 42 through 48, and it's also uh, recounted in Mark chapter 5. And so if you want a, a follow-up reading on this, you could read Mark chapter 5 later. But a few things that, that jump out at me here with this interaction uh, that, that is just fascinating to me. Uh, one is that this, this woman, who we don't have a name for, although Jesus in some ways gives her a name later, and we'll get to that, this woman had been struggling with this illness for 12 years. Now think about that. Uh, 12 years is a long 
time. When I think about 12 years for myself, I think that, um, so I'm 42, when I was 30, uh, there was no Charlotte, there was no Savannah, there was no Dallas. Life was very different 12 years ago for me. And to think about struggling with an illness for 12 consistent years, 12 consecutive years. Now, some of us in this room have experienced something like that. Um, and it made me wonder, and you can maybe talk about this in your discussion time, if, if you have been through a situation where you've struggled with something for 12 years. Many, many folks struggle with something an entire life, an entire life. Uh, there's a friend of ours in this church that we are spending time with uh, whose name is Clark. And uh, Clark uh, has Duchenne's muscular dystrophy. Uh, and Clark uh, is 27 years old, I believe. Uh, maybe he's 29. No, I think he's 27. And uh, typically, uh, folks with Duchenne's muscular dystrophy don't live past uh, the age 16. And so Clark has well outlived uh, all expectations for his life, and, uh, and yet his life is a struggle, and he's very open about that. Um, and yet, for those of you who have had an opportunity to, to meet Clark, Clark has a faith in the Lord and a vibrancy in, in life despite the struggles that he has. And so he comes and he pursues relationship at church, and he comes and he pursues the renewing of his mind with the scripture. And, um, and it's a, it's, a, it's a testimony of somebody who has faith in the Lord despite a, a, a struggle. And there are many others um, th uh, that we could give example of, of that in, our, in this church. Um, so one of the things that occurs to me is that this, this life in Christ that we have doesn't immediately remove all struggle. It, it, it is not as though when you come to Christ... Uh, everything is rosy and cheerful and easy and successful. Uh, and sometimes I think that we can paint that picture, actually, is that, hey, my life was this, and then as soon as I met Christ, it, <laughs> it, it, everything was completely better. Well, on the one hand, yes. Amen. Because the Lord does change everything and flips everything upside down. And our whole mentality, our whole mindset changes. He, he tears out our heart of stone and gives us a heart of flesh. Our lives do drastically change, and everything is better on the one hand. And on the other hand, there's some times where struggle is, is real. Um, and the Lord, in his wisdom, knows exactly when to let us wait and exactly when to give us the answer exactly when to make the change. We've talked about this throughout this series as well, that God's timing is perfect, and he knows exactly when the time is that he needs to act. In fact, we might be tricked into thinking that all the time of waiting, God has stopped acting, <laughs> or he's not acting yet. We might be misled into thinking that while I'm waiting, God is dormant. Well, the truth is that uh, we serve a God who neither slumbers nor sleeps. I had a conversation with somebody this week about this, one of our other pastors, um, about the time that Jesus slept on the boat. And there were times that the man Jesus did sleep. He needed his rest. But there is a teaching in the scripture that says that God not, neither slumbers nor sleeps. In other words, never, he's never caught off guard 
or unaware. And though Christ had times where he slept, he rested, and, and, and he as a man needed his rest. He was never caught unaware even during those times that he was sleeping. So when the disciples came and woke him up on the boat, it wasn't as though he was unaware of what was happening. He was still perfectly in control while he, sleep, while he slept. Isn't that amazing? When I sleep, I, I am out. I have no idea what's going on around me. But God knows. And we know that the Lord neither slumbers nor sleeps, meaning that he's never caught off guard. He's never caught unaware. He always knows exactly uh, what, what it is that we need at all times. And I think that that, that, that that is made clear here in this passage once again. As Jesus is caught by this woman, some of us might be tempted to think that he was caught unaware by this woman. But I don't think that that's what the Bible is teaching here. Uh, this woman was dealing with a struggle that Jesus knows, understands, and is the solution for ultimately. And that's the case for each one of our struggles. He knows the struggle. He understands the struggle. And he is the solution for our struggle. So I hope that's encouraging to you just right off the bat in this passage, that whatever struggle it is that you're going through, Jesus knows it, he understands it, and he is the solution for it, ultimately. So for 12 years, she's dealing with this, and though she had spent all her life living on physicians, she could not be healed by anyone. So she's beyond medical treatment. She's beyond a place where there's some sort of regiment that will get her back to health. Jesus is, like has been the case for many of these silhouettes, and is the case for all of us, our only hope, our only solution. So in 44, she came up behind him and touched the fringe of his garment, and immediately her discharge of blood ceased. This is amazing. Remember, there's a crowd around him, uh, tons of people, so she pushes through the crowd comes behind him, Jesus cannot see her physically, touches him, and then immediately she's healed. Uh, actually, touches the, the fringe of the, his garment, the tassel, so to speak, uh, something that would have been sort of hanging on the garment, and, and, and is immediately healed. So what doctors couldn't do in a lifetime for her, Jesus did in an instant. Yeah. Which, again, is an encouragement, I think, that, that Jesus can do in one moment more than any of us can do in a lifetime. It's why we go to him with prayer in all of our struggles. Because he is able to do in a moment what we could not otherwise do. There was, uh, there's a great quote, um, I believe it's Martin Luther, who said... Uh, somebody had asked him how, how often he prays, how, how many hours a day he prays. And I think he said like two or three hours. And people said, wow, you pray two or three hours a day with all that you do and how busy you are? Like how can you only pray two or three hours? Or, or how can you manage to pray two or three hours? And he said, um, that's on a regular day. On my busy days and my busy weeks, I, I, I pray at least two more hours than that or something like that, right? I'm butchering the quote. 
the, the point that he was making is that uh, we're, we're too busy not to pray and that God can do in a moment more than we can do in a lifetime. So the time that we spend in prayer is not wasted time. The time that we spend in worship is not wasted time. The time that we spend communicating with the Lord is not wasted time. In fact, uh, it makes it so that the rest of the, the, the time that we have in the day is well spent, is well used, is led by the Lord where he is working. And so we follow and align ourselves with him in, in the time that we pray. In an instant, her discharge of blood ceased. And Jesus said, who was it that touched me? Now, Jesus is God, right? I would venture to say that he already knows. He already knows who's, who, who has touched him. Although he did, it does make it clear that she's behind him, and so he didn't see it. Uh, but Mark, the, the, the chapter uh, in Mark 5 that discusses this, it says that he turned around to see the one who had done it. Uh, there's a way of reading that uh, where you could say he's looking to see who it was. And there's another way of reading that where you could say he, he turned around and saw the one who had done it. He, he turned around to see the one who had done it. I, I do think Jesus knew who, this, who it was, who had, he had healed. Um, I don't think that Jesus accidentally heals. <laughs> I don't think that's what's being taught here, that, that the woman just sort of bumped into Jesus and it accidentally happened. Uh, I think that would be a, a reckless reading of this, these passages. Instead, I think that there's a woman who has faith, who has come and sought out, uh, the, the, sought out this Jesus knowing who he was, having faith in who he was. And there may have been some superstition to it. You know, there may have some, been some superstition about the tassel or the fringe of the garment that if I can only just touch that, I'll be healed. But ultimately, her faith was connected to Jesus. And I think part of what happens here is that the, the superstition gets weeded out while the truth and the clarity of who Jesus is becomes evident. And so Jesus turns, Mark, in Mark 5 it says, he turned to see the one who had done it. But I think he still says, who was it that touched me uh, by way of having this teaching moment for all of those that are around? So there are times when Jesus is going to um, not reveal everything at once, but, but through a series of questions and conversation, reveal more ongoing and for the, for the good of those who are around him. I think that that's because he's a gracious and loving God, and sometimes we actually need a slower process. Like, if we saw God in all his glory now, we'd be blinded. We'd be fearful. We'd, we'd, we might die. But we need this sort of process of revelation that Jesus is gracious to, to put us through because sometimes we're a little bit slower. And so he asked this question, who was it that touched me? And when all denied it, uh, I just picture in that moment people being like, not me, not me, not me. Like, people think that, that, that they're in trouble. Uh, so when all denied it, Peter said, so Peter, of course, the one who is the brave one, the zealous one, the, the one who is ready to go get them at all times, when nobody else is standing up, Peter says, well, master, the crowds are surrounding you and pressing in on you. In other words, Everybody touched you. There was not a person here who didn't touch you. 
I love I love thinking about Peter in this moment being, being like everybody's like pushing Peter forward to, 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 to respond to Jesus in this moment. Everybody's touching you. What do you mean who touched you? Like, how could we possibly know? Again, there's an indication here where though we can't understand, Jesus knows and understands. The crowd is, is, pass, is, is pressing in on you. Uh, another translation says that the, that the, the crowd is, has thronged him, <laughs> uh, which was an idea of almost Jesus being suffocated by being pressed in on the crowd. Makes everybody uncomfortable right now, <laughs> thinking about being in that kind of a crowd right now, especially in the time of COVID. But the crowd is pressing around on Jesus. And in verse 46, but Jesus said, someone touched me, for I perceive that power has gone out from me. Again, we might be tempted to read this verse as a, as a sort of, whoops, just healed somebody. Uh, but I think rather Jesus is, is so in charge of the situation that he understands that he has healed somebody in this moment. And I do believe that he knows exactly who that is. So somebody touched me, I've healed, I felt the power come out of me. And verse 47, and when the woman saw that she was not hidden. See, this is, this is part of why I, I believe that, that Jesus knew exactly who this was. In the crowd, she saw that she was not hidden. Now, have you, have you ever been in a crowd? Uh, a crowd is a good place to hide. When there are thousands of people around, when there are hundreds of people around, when a crowd is a good place to hide. And we can do that even at church. We come in and sit down, and it's a good place to hide. There is a thing about crowds where you can hide in a crowd. This woman saw that she was not hidden in the midst of the crowd. This is amazing to me as well because Jesus is uh, so in command of his surroundings and and what's happening here, that even in the crowd, the woman can't be hidden from him. Now, I think that is both terrifying and encouraging at the same time, right, for, for us. Because there are times that we would like to be hidden. And I think that's a terrifying thought. We cannot hide from God. And on the flip side, I think that's an encouraging thought. Because God sees us. He's, he is the one who sees us. Uh, I was just reading with Clark in um, Genesis about Hagar. And Hagar was the woman who bore Abraham a son first, named Ishmael. And at some point, Hagar gets sent away. Um, and has this encounter with God at a spring. Many of you know this story. And she gives God a name in that moment. And the name that she gives him is that God is the one who sees me. Woo! And I think that that's happening here as well with this woman, that, that, that God is the one who sees her, even in a crowd. So we need to acknowledge that, that we cannot be hidden from him, and that is both terrifying and comforting at the same time. So she came trembling. <laughs> when, when you're called out by God, you, you need to come to him and not run away. There's just so much stuff here. 
when, when, you, when you're called out by God, we need to come to him and not run away. And I think our tendency is when we're called out from God is to run away. But, but this woman comes to Jesus being called out by him, knowing that that's really the only option. It's really the only option. And, I've, and I've, I have oftentimes said this with, with my kids. And when my kids do something wrong, they oftentimes will go run to their room and slam the door and, and, and hide and sulk. And I keep wanting to tell them, and I do, again and again, I want you to come to me in these moments. I want us to be close in these moments. I want us to be able to draw near in these moments, even when there's been something that you've done wrong or I've done wrong. I want for us to be close in these moments. I think, I think God calls us, even in the moments where, where we want to be hidden, to come to him. And, and we saw it in the garden at the very beginning. When God's walking in the garden and saying, where are you? Our tendency is to hide. And he knows exactly where we are. Um, so she falls down before him and, and declared in the presence of all the people public testimony about why she had touched him. Now, it doesn't go into great detail about what that is, but I imagine that at that point she's saying publicly to the people that are there, this is Jesus, the Son of God. He is the one who has the, holds the keys to death and life. He is the one who has created and sustains the world. I, I imagine that, that she is publicly declaring in front of all the people, I touched him because he's the one who can heal me. He, he is the one who has uh, the ability to save me. And then she tells everybody how, how she had been immediately healed. And he said to her, daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace. A couple things there, and Allison's going to talk a little bit about this as well. But this is the only place that Jesus calls somebody daughter, which is a significant thing. Um, and again, your, this, your faith has made you well. Remember the passage that we already covered that said, your faith has saved you. Again, this the faith is only as good as the object of the faith. The faith has saved or made them well because it's been faith in Jesus. And he says, go in peace, which is something that she was not able to do prior to this after many doctor's visits, after many treatments, after many days wrestling with her struggle. I'm encouraged by all this. Now, the reason I wanted to start here is because there's another layer of this that is just incredible to me, which is that this is all happening in the middle of another healing. This is a healing within a healing, which is just amazing. This is, if we peel back the onion layer, or if we, we, we take a look at the outer side now about what the passage is saying prior and after this, he's already in the middle of healing somebody else. Or being asked to heal somebody else. So look now at 40, which is the, the first uh, verse that we have listed there. Now when Jesus returned, the crowd welcomed him, for they were all waiting for him. Remember, for much of his ministry, he was trying not to have a crowd. Now it's unavoidable. There's a crowd. And, and so that's not going to stop now. And the crowd welcomes him, for they were all waiting for him. And there was a man named Jairus who was a ruler of the synagogue. Well, this, would be, this would be sort of like a pastor, somebody who was in leadership in, in the religious circle. Um, and falling at Jesus' feet, he implored him to come to his house, for he had, only, uh, had an only daughter about 12 years of age, and she was dying. 
he's already been asked to heal Jairus' daughter. As Jesus went, the people pressed around him. And then, and then on the way to healing Jairus' daughter, we have this interaction with the woman who was bleeding. I also think it's, it's not an accident that the daughter is, is 12 years of age. And this woman has been struggling for 12 years with her, her struggle, her sickness. There are a couple of things that, and that, that I just want to point out about this, and that is that, again, what we have said, Jesus has mastery of the situation. He's, he's always in command in terms of timing and where and when he is. And second, Jesus is able to multitask. <laughs> I heard somebody say that actually yesterday at uh, the Leadership Collective and at Redemption Gateway, that Jesus is able to multitask. It was kind of a funny thought. I had never heard anybody say that before. Um, but this passage proves it, right? He is on his way to heal Jairus' daughter, and in the midst of that has this interaction with the woman, and it's not an, ac- an accident. It's encouraging to me to know that, that Jesus is able to take care of my need and your need and your need and our needs all at once. And our brains don't tend to work that way. We think, well, i got to fix this thing, and then i got to fix this thing. Jesus is able to do all of that at once. It always blew me away as a kid that I could pray to God and that he would hear me and everybody else praying at the same time. Like, you mean anybody else in the world that's praying right now, God can hear that too? How does he, how does he keep all that straight in his head? I, I was always blown away by that as a kid. And yet that's what we have uh, in, in this amazing God who is knowable but also beyond our knowing. And I think about this sometimes too in worship services. Like everybody's praying and everybody's worshiping and, and particularly in certain contexts you'll have prayers happening where everybody's praying out loud at the same time and God's hearing all of these things all at once. It's comforting me, to me to know that God's able to multitask and handle each one of these things in real time as we are asking and coming to him. So he's on his way to see Jairus' daughter, and, and then there's this pressing of the crowd and this other interaction, and Jairus is there for this. So in this whole passage, you don't, we don't, Jairus is not mentioned, but Jairus is right there with Jesus in all of this. That means that, that Jairus sees Jesus' ability to heal. And, I, and part of well, one commentator that I read it said that Jesus was actually um, teaching Jairus while he was healing the woman. And part of the interaction there, when he's saying, who touched me, uh, I noticed power went out from me, part of that is for Jairus' sake. And not just Jairus's, but for yours and for mine and for ours that are reading this passage all these years later. That It's almost as if the passage is teaching... And I, and I do think that's, what, that's why these are placed this way, with one interaction inside of the other. That the things that we are struggling with, we see this woman as an example of Jesus' ability to not only heal her, but then to heal the struggle that we're going, with, going on with as well. So verse 49, so this is now after he's healed the, the woman. While he was still speaking, someone from the ruler's house, Jairus' house, came and said, your daughter is dead. Do not trouble the teacher anymore. 
That breaks my heart. Huh. To think that that if you're Jairus and you've gone and you've found Jesus and you've asked for his help and he's been delayed by this crowd and by this woman and your daughter's now died. What's going through my head is that I, I knew it. This, it. this took too long. We didn't have time for this. And I can imagine Jairus actually standing there while Jesus is healing this woman and saying, we got to go, we got to go. So the, the, the person from the ruler's house is saying, don't trouble the teacher anymore. Notice that he's called a teacher here. Um, what, is a, what good is a teacher to you now that your daughter is dead? Right? But Jesus, in verse 50, on hearing this, answered him, Do not fear, only believe, and she will be well. Remember, we've already seen a situation where he healed a centurion's son from a distance. He didn't even need to get to the house to heal the centurion's son. So Jesus, we, we know that Jesus doesn't have to actually get to the house. He may choose to get to the house, but he doesn't have to get to the house. Do not fear, only believe. Now this word believe is also really important, and Allison's going to talk a little bit more about that as well. But there's a sense here where it's in, the belief is in contrast to fear. Don't spend your time being fearful. Spend your time believing. I think that's really good for us, too. Don't spend our time being fearful. Spend our time believing. And the word believe has, as we've talked about also before, has, has not only to do with think, thinking or knowledge, but has to do with uh, understanding in such a way that, that it commands your obedience. Um, and Allison will talk more about that. And she will be well. Verse 51, And when he came to the house, he allowed no one to enter with him except Peter and John and James and the father and the mother of the child. Uh, that's just sensitivity. The, the daughter has died. We're not going to get a, the whole crowd into the house. And all were weeping and mourning for her, but he said, Do not weep, for she is not dead, but sleeping. And they laughed at him, knowing that she was dead. I've heard some people say in this passage that... that um, that, no, that, that she wasn't really dead because he's saying that he's, he's, she was sleeping. But I don't think that's what Jesus is saying here. Um, and particularly with how the people respond laughing at him because they knew he, she was dead. I, I think he's, he's saying that he has the ability to raise from the dead. And they couldn't have understood it that way. That's why they're making fun of him. And they laughed at him knowing that she was dead. But taking her, hand, her by the hand, he called, saying, Child... Arise. Um, and her spirit returned. That's another reason why we know that she was dead. The spirit returned, and she got up at once. And he directed that something should be given her to eat, and her parents were amazed, but he charged them to tell no one what had happened. Again, there's so much here, and I, and I want to wrap up because we have a good uh, application section from, from Allison. But my mind goes to Jairus, I mean to, to Lazarus and how Lazarus uh, was, was um, sick, and they came to Jesus and said, come, come, come be with Lazarus. And Jesus actually like waits 
before even starting out on the journey to get to Lazarus. And then by the time he gets to Lazarus in John 11, Lazarus is already dead. And they say to him, if you had been here, he would not have died. I think there's a similar thing happening here with this woman. The tendency could be for to say, if you had, then this would not have happened. But Jesus' way is always better, even, even if there is pain in the process. Uh, we sang that two different times yesterday, once in the morning and once in the evening. You're, it's so much better your way on Ash Wednesday. And we must know that, that his way is always better, even if there is pain in the process. And so he heals the woman on the way to raising the child from the dead. An indication that he's able to handle all of the needs that come forward for us in this life. And that we must have complete trust in the fact that his way is better, and his timing is better, and his process is better. Even though it may be difficult in the process. It's a healing within a healing. How cool. And it lets us know that he can still be that for us today as well. So with that, uh, I want to invite Allison to give some application for us. Okay. And I, I will try to watch the time. <laughs> but um, like Ty, I... I'm excited with so many parallels in, in this um, between what happened with Jarius and what happened with the woman. But to really focus in, I'm going to have us focus on um, verses 47 and 48. So that's what I have in our notes. But I want to remind us once more, every time we are reading one of these, these are not isolated little incidences that we're just... Oh, a neat story to tell in Sunday school. Let's remember, Luke wrote this so we could have certainty concerning the things we were taught. He wanted us to not doubt the truth and to walk away with a sense of security that Jesus is who he said he is. He also proclaims throughout this time that he is the kingdom of God. The kingdom is there. And so this is a no-duh, but for me, I always have to remind myself that a kingdom has a king. And I think part of the reason why I do that is we live in a country uh, that, hey, we threw off the idea of a king, right? So it's not really in our context to think about what that would be like. I did have a brief time um, of living in the UK. So even though the queen does not rule there, she is, by a lot of people, uh, very respected. There is a different attitude there. And one time um, I got into a long conversation with some people at a coffee shop that I would visit all the time. And it was the queen's birthday. And they were not celebrating it. Um, and I asked why. I said, oh, isn't that just part of being patriotic? And they had all their reasons. But they said, if you'll notice, we don't, we don't fly our flag a lot, the Union Jack, but what they fly is this flag of St. George. And because it represents the royal family and it represents that it's a sovereign ruler. So I want you guys to keep that idea of sovereignty in your mind because that is really huge when we think about a king and a kingdom. And I'm going to um, get into that a little bit more. But it's, it's just different for us. We, we don't think in that terms. But this is such a unique king, and we're going to unpack this more. Um, so let's look at 
verses 47 and 48. Um, I'll just read it again. It said that she declared in the presence of all the people why she had touched him and how she had been immediately healed. And he said to her, daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace. So I want to literally unpack some of those words because they apply to us. The same thing has happened to anyone that is his daughter. So the first thing is declared. I want us to recognize that faith proclaims and points towards our hope. And what is the source of power? It is not power in and of itself. True faith is pointing towards and that's a very important thing because I think we tend to have that idea that I just got to have enough faith, that somehow it's this magnitude that creates change. No, it is what your faith is in. Are you pointing towards Christ because he is sufficient? Um, this is especially important to help us understand that God ordains our suffering. He is actually sovereign. He's not a sovereign as a figurehead like a king or a queen might be. He is completely sovereign. And as I put there, we can take comfort that nothing in this world happens apart from the sovereign will of God. I um, put a little reference there to John 9. If you remember that from a few weeks ago on Sunday, that is when the blind man is healed. And his disciples, they come to him and said, who sinned, him or his parents? And he said, no, no. He was born blind so that God may be glorified. God is absolutely sovereign over everything, even our suffering, our infirmities, anything that happens in our life. The next thing I want to focus in is that word daughter. Um, it's a very unique thing. Remember, Jesus is proclaiming his kingdom, but he's not just a ruler over subjects that can choose to serve him or not. He doesn't address us as subjects. He calls us his child. We're his sons. We're his daughter. He is a king that rules with compassion and truth. He has that kingdom authority. He has demonstrated already in Luke his lordship over demons, over nature. So we didn't go over this, but these are things that have happened. He's calmed a storm. He's cast out demons over illness and over death. We, we've talked about some of those. They're all in there if you've been reading in between. Um, he is showing he is absolutely in, in charge. But he is uniquely this father over sons and daughters. And I love that word because it reminds me that he's a God of compassion. It is a love that goes beyond emotion. Compassion is action, okay? So it's when you feel deeply enough to enter in and act. Um, and he is also a God of truth. He constantly gives us this choice of belief. Are you going to believe that I am who I said I am? And it's been from the beginning when God created a first man and woman, Adam and Eve, and he said to him, I'm going to give you a choice. Have all of this food, but not that one. Are you going to believe me? Are you going to believe that I am speaking truth to you about what's best for you? And it goes on and on. He tells us throughout the Old Testament, choose this day who you're going to serve. Are you going to choose the blessings? Are you going to choose the curses? Are you going to choose the faith that saves and gives peace or choose your own way? So when you hear that word daughter, you need to hear a lot in it. You need to hear the personal. And I, too, picked up that. It's so amazing that he addresses as daughter this woman. When Jairus says daughter, who he is a father that obviously is full of compassion for her and desperate for her, 
And Jesus is giving a picture of how he responds to a daughter. He is identifying with Jairus' love and desperation for his own daughter. And he responded in healing. Remember that. You are his daughter. You are not just someone serving him. Then he says it's her faith. Your faith has made you well. So that word there, I I am a little bit of a word geek, but for me, I don't want to go in with my ideas to God's word. I want God's word to be forming and sifting and correcting my ideas. So I like to look up um, the Hebrew and Greek. So this word is a noun, and it's the word pistis. It's a strong and welcome conviction or belief that Jesus is the Messiah through whom we attain eternal salvation in the kingdom of God. So faith here, it is producing a pursuit of Christ and an obedience to him to even answer that question, who touched me? Just like Ty brought up about kids, I I have grandkids now, um, and they are three and two years old. And it is funny, even at that age, when they do something wrong, the thing to do is run and hide. They're little, though. They think it's enough to run in the same room we are and just turn. And so just not seeing me is enough. And so I just, I want us to recognize some of the obedience is just owning up to what you've done, you know. And it was even owning in the faith, you know, but it was obedience to her to turn to him. It's not enough to just believe certain facts about him. Even Satan and the demons know he's the true God. So if you go back, and we're going to talk a little bit more about this next week. But the demons frequently are like, oh, no, son of God, don't do this to me. They fully know not only who he is, but what he's going to do. It's not enough to know facts. It is, do we love and do we obey him? True saving faith will always respond in obedience, relying on him to guide us and tell us how to live our lives. And underneath that is the idea of belief. Belief is the verb to faith, okay? Those words are related. It is pisteo, which literally comes from the root word pistis, and it means to be persuaded of or place your confidence in. It's, in a sense, it's that reliance. And I love the picture of her reliance was not going up and grabbing him fully. She touched a fringe. She knew that would be enough. Okay, She had reliance on, this is my only hope. He's the one that will heal. And then she t- he reminds her of the effect of that faith is that it has made you well. So we use all those words for what is a single Greek word, sozo. But this word sozo is a verb, and it means an action to save. It is used in a literal or figurative sense throughout the Gospels. Jesus came to save. The woman in today's lesson experienced a very present healing, right? Physically, she stopped beating immediately. It wasn't a tapering off. I don't know about you guys, but I've gone to the doctor sometime, and you'll give you medication, and they're like, and hey, maybe in two weeks you'll feel better. This was not that. This was immediate. She knew what had happened. But it's also foreshadowing a future condition of being fully restored. Jesus did not come just to heal us of our sickness, right? He came to, he's going to give us new life throughout. And I want you to remember that. We've seen this same word, sozo, used already. Um, When I taught last time on Luke 7.50, he tells the woman caught in sin and identified her sins were many. 
He says, your faith has saved you. That is that exact same word, sozo. So that was a picture there of your sin wiped away and you're restored. In 836, which came just before this, is that amazing story of the man that had so many demons. The demon called himself Legion, and they were cast into pigs, 2,000 pigs. That's quite a few demons. Um, And he's healed. That is the same word used there. And then in 850, he tells them, we just read this, Jarius, he tells them, do not be afraid, only believe, she'll be made well. It's the sequence that comes over and over again of belief, which is the grounding of our faith, leading to this healing of sickness and death and our sins. It's been used four times in a row just in these couple of chapters. So keep that in mind that there is this active belief that produces in us this quality of faith. But we hear once again these parting words from Jesus, go in peace. He said the same thing to the woman caught in sin. Her faith has saved you. So for her, it was her sin saved. This woman, she's healed of this disease that in many ways affected her the same way it affected the lady that was caught in sin. They both had things that kept them excluded from society. Any kind of illness made you ceremonially, ceremoniously, how do you say it? Well, it made her not able to go into the temple. (laughs) Um, So for 12 years, she has been out of community life, okay? Just as, as you can imagine, a woman of great sin, whether or not she was a prostitute, you'd be pretty much cut out of community life too, For both of them, he tells them to go in peace. That's a word of restoration. He heals and he gives the command, daughter, go in peace. And I want us to remember that we are image bearers and members of God's family, and we are proclaiming that lasting peace. Because our souls are assured that our salvation came from Christ alone, absolutely nothing we did alone did on our own. So we don't have to fear anything from God, and we can be very content in what life gives us. So it kind of goes back to that declaring. What am I declaring? I'm declaring God is sovereign and in charge. And so nothing is happening that is out of his control. It's not a mistake if we are suffering physical illness, a struggle with sin, brokenness in our relationships. We, too, can walk out in peace. We can be like the demon-possessed man that was had these demons cast out of him just before this series who begged Jesus to let him go with him. And instead, what Jesus told him, no, I need you to go to stay here. And you go tell all your neighbors what has happened. And you know what he did? He went and he proclaimed throughout the whole city how much Jesus had done for him. He was a picture of peace. She's a picture of peace. We are a picture of peace. But it's not a peace as the world gives. It's not that American gospel like what um, Ty talked about where, hey, things were bad and now, hey, it's perfect. It's I was lost and now I'm found. And there's a peace in that and a way to live just today. So I hope you guys remember that you're a daughter who walks in peace. Thanks, Allison. So we're going to go for about nine minutes of talking and about nine minutes of praying. Uh, And we apologize that we went a little long on the the preaching today. Mostly me. Allison's was perfect. Mine was a little bit long. 
Um, but we want to give you about nine minutes to, to talk at your tables and nine minutes to pray about that point. So why don't you, as you're discussing, as it gets time to where you feel like it's a good time to start turning towards prayer, go ahead and do that. I won't dictate that for you today. Um, and notice that in your, your handout, there's a reading for next week. Uh, next week's teaching is from Allison. It's on Mary and Martha, which is super exciting. I love that passage also. Um, every par part of the Bible is my favorite part. <laughs> uh, let me, let me uh, just quickly uh, pray to close this part of our time, and then I'll have you discuss, and then turn to prayer as you're led as well, and then we'll dismiss uh, right about 1030. God, thanks for the time in your word. I pray you'd be glorified in these discussions and in these, these prayer times around the tables uh, that you would be um, our hope, uh, that we put our faith and trust in you and our obedience in you. Thank you that we were lost, but now that we're found. We pray you'd be glorified in this time in Jesus' name.